I'm going to have to look that up. Greetings everyone, Brian here. Thanks for tuning in. There's been a nice resurgence in a discussion about science fiction, science fantasy, RPGs. Uh, the main source for this has been Jason's uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. But I had seen some blog posts, and this is probably over the last few months, and I know that Froth had a discussion on it in response to a, a blog post about and I'll paraphrase, where where have all the sci-fi games gone, or where are they? Uh, so, one, I, I thought the discussion was interesting, so I'd recommend first you check out Jason's uh, most recent two podcasts, where he talks a little bit about some distinctions of, of genre when we talk about science fiction versus science fantasy. You could put space opera up there. It probably leans, obviously, more towards fantasy. And going through a lot of good examples and, and trying to relate that to games. What I thought I'd do is maybe talk primarily about uh, Star Frontiers, one of the first games I've got into that I've referenced before. Maybe just a little bit of a background. I, I do not think I am uh, qualified enough to give a full review. Uh, there have been some great ones, both in writing that I'll talk about and also on podcast, but really more how I got into it, what I found appealing, and then potentially what has maybe driven me to look back at it and either think about playing or running in it again today. It's, it's a little bit of a, I guess, an oddity to me because when I discovered it, I had first, of course, discovered Dungeons and Dragons, as many people had. So, you know, this was the early 80s for me, elementary school. And I may have referenced either on the podcast, but I, I definitely have in discussions with other the Anchorites. Although I love D&D and was so excited to get into it, science fiction, or, or rather I'd say space opera, was really more what captivated me when I was younger. And it just probably... I think the media at the time, obviously the media landscape, let alone streaming landscape, was not as rich as we have now. But, you know, this was the era of Star Wars. Uh, there was still the original Star Trek, and a lot of my family and relatives were big fans of that. So I do remember watching that, although I think I was a little bit young to, you know, appreciate, understand it. But I think it was enough that it was space. As I mentioned, Star Wars, you know, then Empire, the you know the original trilogy, and just some of the other things that went along with it. Flash Gordon, as uh, cheesy as a movie as it was, I remember absolutely loving that. We had Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, and, and the like. So you know, a young Brian was more predisposed to a science fiction game, and I really should say science fantasy because that's what Star Frontiers is. And we'll get into some of the specifics, but for me, I discovered it. Almost on accident, I think that when I got my D&D basic set and started to get the modules and we were doing a little bit of playing, you know, the ways that you could get that at the time were really the, the hobby shops, which primarily were, were model shops. Some, some, you know, the plastic models, die, and then they also had, uh, 
I think, uh, upper, upper end hobbyists, you know, building planes, cars, and they also carried a small section of the role-playing games, some war games, and other things that were not in the, in the local store. Over time, you got these in the KB and the Toys R Us. But for me, I think I had heard about Itch, probably through either a leaflet that they put into Dungeons & Dragons or seen it. I know that there were some limited advertising, um, and it might have been in a comic book. I think they had some comic book ads. But the way that I actually found it and purchased my box set, I saw it in the Pathmark in Newark, Delaware. Pathmark is a grocery store. <laughs> and at the time, in the early 80s, I think this Pathmark, if I remember correctly, was was a larger grocery store. So don't know if they're still around, but at least in the United States, you know, th- this would now be you would probably see this pretty easily if you go to any of the larger grocery store chains. Uh, even if you just look at the Walmart grocery side, I guess. It, to, to us, it was a really, really big grocery store, you know, bigger than the, the ShopRite. And as part of that, they had, you know, some other sections in addition to your grocery and your basic needs. And for whatever reason, as I was, you know, trotting along with my mom, found Star Frontiers on the shelf. And the kicker was, when I saw it, it was listed as, I think, about $3.49 or $0.59. And, and <laughs> I, I, I don't think my mom remembers this. Maybe I should ask her. I, I think I was floored because I thought, I wonder, is that a misprint? Is, you know, because these were, I'm pretty sure these were selling at probably more like a $13, $15 for the box set, maybe even more, a little bit different back then. But when I saw it, I, I think I was in a little bit of disbelief and thought, well, maybe maybe they have it and no one wants it or they're getting rid of it. So, um, you know, I, I asked my mom, they said, hey, this is a game I really want. And on, on top of it, the, the price is... Um, it's pretty it's pretty inexpensive and i think she 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 was enough uh, uh, had, a, had a mindset enough to say yeah I, th- I think you're i think you're right that's not very much or you know that sure good price you know you want it you've got you've got the money at home great and that's how i purchased it and you know to this day that's probably one of the best <laughs> inadvertent purchases i made because over the years you know in my early years of gaming i ended up kind of going through the star frontiers box set playing that and then eventual you know, expansion more than D&D I think at least I stayed with that a little bit longer until I got into high school and then you know came back to D&D maybe high school and college so what what really inspired me I mean first of all and this kind of gets to the heart of, of before you even look at the distinction of science fiction science fantasy it, it's just the genre and you know there are there are those in gaming if you tr- Try to try to think about what kind of world you wanna you wanna build, and then who you wanna play in. For me, I think the idea of outer space exploration, you know, alien worlds, as they say, was a little more appealing. So when they had a game that captured that, that was perfect. The system itself, if you're familiar, at least with the early the original box set, and then they did have before they came out with the expansion Nighthawks, which was the starship combat centered uh, rule set they had reprinted the original and called it alpha dawn which was very similar to the basic set i can't tell you really what the differences were but the basic set came with 
basic book to kind of get you going, and then an expanded campaign book, a big mat, some counters, and and then a module. And for us, spent more time with the basic rules. We ran some adventures in the in the in the city that they had mapped up, and you got the counters, and you got your your hover cars to go around. But this is what what I found. I think. Appealing. Not that I think we thought the D and D rule set was was difficult, because I think at the time, you know, we were still playing BEX even when we had the advanced modules. It seemed to me a little more streamlined, and people may debate this, um, but the first thing was that this was one of several games that TSR and others came out with that did the percentile dice, the D100. This may be a division. So, quick aside is I'm I'm a fan of the D100 system. And ability scores. I think you can use it simply and it makes a lot of intuitive sense. And I may have talked about this if we if we cross the streams a little bit when I talked about Stratomatic and then the RPG Deadball where it really just makes a very it, it, it's obvious but it's beautiful because it's intuitive conclusion that you know the core mechanic in it you know this is a baseball analogy um, because it's a baseball game, but using percentile dice to help you resolve some of the basic moves or the basic, in this case, you know, getting a hit, uh, because the way that most statistics are gathered revolve around the batting average. How many times, you know, what, what is the percentage, the chance that on your trip to the plate, you get a hit and then you go from there. And so trying to to reduce things to a percentage as, as a basic mechanic of success to me makes sense it, it may seem a little bit much but i think you see a lot of this in powered by the apocalypse other games cypher where where you're trying to boil the core mechanic down to a success and maybe a range you know maybe it's it's not a hard yes or no success it's it's a success with a consequence or it's a fail soft fail but you know it's not a complete fail and then you go from there, and you can build on the complexity from there. But I really liked the die rolling in a percentile range. And so that that at least got me going in that this was something that, you know, even even the young math geek that I was, I think I, I could I could grok that and and work with that and then even modify that. Um, so many of the abilities are, are similar. They pair them, kind of strength, stamina. Uh, is paired together. They have, um, you know, your intelligence, your logic. They have uh, dexterity. What's dexterity paired with reaction speed? Yeah, there you go. And then you have um, your persuasion, leadership. So they're pairing them. You kind of have four core characteristics. I guess really six. Um, you know, they. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> we uh, the math geek can't do his math. Uh, eight. Excuse me. Um, but. Again, you know, trying to think back to the appeal. Yeah, that use them. You've got some ability modifiers to go with it. Um, you know, so the, the core mechanic got me into it. Um, but beyond that, then, the, the theme, the idea that, okay, coming from Dungeons & Dragons, you can now enter an RPG where you've got, you know, obviously laser rifles. You know, you've got the, uh, not quite lightsabers in this, but similar, you know, vibroblades and other things. You've got the ability to travel, you know, vast distances at tremendous speeds, you know, getting you know, the light speed, you know, spaceships. And then you have the alien 
races or the races. And here was something that I thought was a, was a big success and also kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit. Now, again, <laughs> this is, you know, young, younger me. And now we've, we've obviously advanced in terms of overall role-playing games so much. But this was an exposure to something that was different than, uh, I guess, the Star Trek aliens, where everybody looked like a human with uh, some ears or, or noses or a few different skin color. This gave you your humans, but three other races that you could play that were, were different enough and had advantages that were just, it, it just, it, it, it kind of felt like you were actually playing something, as, as it says, totally alien. Um, the Dralocytes, the rubbery aliens um, that also have a few unique attitudes that are, that are kind of built in there. Um, you know, they've got, obviously, we said the elasticity, they have a lie detection uh, capability. Um, they, <laughs> they, uh, they also have how they interact with other, other aliens written up. You know, the Duralocytes are fond of the, the next one. We'll cover the Vrusk. The Vrusk are kind of the insect. Um, uh, you know, and, and mainly it says they think they have funny shapes, which is absolutely true. The Vrusk look like large insects. They've got kind of um, eight legs from the abdomen, abdomen but then they've got, uh, you know, kind of two arms on an upright torso. Um, you know, they, they speak with clicks. So this is your typical, you know, if you imagine an alien that looks like an insect. Um, but it, it's interesting because when you, when you take a look at like society and customs is like they're, they, they, uh, they, they want to become wealthy, collect art and live in peace. This is from the, the rule book. Um, so, you know, they, they are really, uh, it's like they're hardworking. I guess this is kind of indicative of ant or some insect societies. You know, there are societies organized around corporations. And, and so, it's it's a it's a good mindset into them. Whereas I think the um, the Dralocytes, uh, and I'd have to go back and read, seem to be a little more seem to be a little more playful. I think they're known for kind of a, a sense of humor, and they like they like jokes and puns. Um, so you know, it's 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 like they're kind of the, a little bit of the, the funny alien. The Vrusks are a little bit more serious and competition. The uh, the third one, um, the Azarians, you know, are the, the essentially the flying monkeys of space. Flying monkey, hard drinking, violent, vi- violent in like a you know they're the kind of the the scoundrel I'd say you know in, in terms of stereotype. Um, you know, they're they're organized into clans. Um, you know, they have, they have a rage ability, you know, they can do some gliding. And so, you know, they're, they, they, they look like monkeys, but they're kind of like the more, as opposed to kind of the logical, uh, you know, business-minded Rusk, the Dralocytes are a little bit more playful. Um, you know, the Azarians are the ones that are kind of, hey, we're the, you know, we're the, we're the battlers, you know, then you get your humans. And then the other race, I think they made this playable in expansions or at least in the future, but this is the alien race that it's least the enemy, the non-playable, the Sather, and they're the worms. This is a bit of uh, maybe a bit of a Dune, Dune influence, but but this is a you know alien race and, and a society that's a bit of a mystery. And the way that it's written up, it's like they're considered hostile and dangerous. Um, they're they're kind of lurking out there. Um, they've they've come into contact with what we call the you know those along the frontier, and so this is your you know your bi- your big bad alien race. Um, you know that that those those elements were enough to kind of get me going. Um, you know, it goes on from there. They have pretty good, you know, skills. Uh, now I think you'd look at them and, and some work better than others. And I think they, there was a, 
looking back at it, the when they take a look at the success rate and your skill level is kind of the core mechanic for using them. It could have been the streamlined a little bit more because it it varies based on the skill, whereas it could have been a little bit more of a straight connection to you know your your skill, your ability modifier, and what you have to do. For instance, uh, you know it's everything from kind of surgery, first aid, persuasion, um, activating freeze fields. So. That's one thing where it falls apart. Um, combat, of course, uh, I'm sure I never ran it as written, you know, but this was, I think, where we really enjoyed it because there's there's a melee section um, where you're actually getting into fights, but we preferred to kind of run encounters where you obviously have, you know, uh, the laser rifle fight, uh, you've got some grenades, explosive, and things like that. And so for most of what, you know, we ran, of course, there's definitely... Uh, you know, up close combat, but we were more interested in kind of running your, you know, your laser pistol, laser rifle, projectiles, gyro jet weapons. I'm looking at the table now. I forgot about that. And so that was that was kind of the core of this. And again, coming from kind of a Star Wars and, and then a Battlestar Galactica background, that's what we really liked. Um, I remember also getting very interested in kind of the, you know, the creatures. There's a section on creating creatures. Um, and some of these, I never brought them over, but obviously there's some good crossover between these and, and, and ones you might want to run in the D&D or D&D setting. And I don't know, I was never familiar with Spelljammer, so I don't know if these made it into the kind of the Spelljammer uh, setting or universe. But uh, these are a combination of, of I'd say, both D&D creatures and then some of the, you know, some, some of the ones that you found, again, more Dune-inspired. They have Funnel Worm. Um, they've got Sand Shark. I remember running, um, you know, they're on Volturnus, so the first module is kind of Escape escape from Volturnus, if I have that right. I have to, uh, I'm going to need to look that one up. I haven't gotten to that in my uh, uh, in the PDFs I have yet. Um, sand Sharks, though. I remember kind of like doing a little bit of sandboxing, running off uh, Sand Sharks uh, after, you know, going through some of the module stuff. And then one of my favorite, the Queequeg, uh, it's a barrel-shaped body, three jointed legs like a tripod. It's got one big eye, and it's got like a whip, almost like a scorpion tail. So, you know, a lot of those, you know, just, just that little section, and this is really in the kind of the campaign book for, you know, the, the beginner set. Well, beginner set. It's, it's, it's the campaign book in the, in, the, in the first rule set. That really, those set of creatures, I think, stuck with me more than I think some of the ones in the basic set. Um, and again, it may just be the genre. Um, I, I haven't really talked about kind of the overall setting, so I, I probably should step back and do that for those of you not familiar. But the idea is that for, you know, the, the way this is set up is you are kind of, you know, you're, you're adventuring on the frontier of space. Um, so maybe this might be a little bit closer to, you know, something like the expanse, like pushing out beyond Earth into the, you know, the frontier sector. In, in in a in an area of the universe that's that's a little bit undiscovered. So for your characters, you know, you may be out there trying to, you know, trying to make a living, running different things, taking you know, taking taking bounties. The little introductory cartoon adventure uh, in the beginning of the I think it's the the basic rules in the in the box set talks about you know getting credits for you know going after criminals and then you know getting another job. So 
it's it's I'd say it's gritty, but it's gritty pulp <laughs> in that, you know, you're doing these things and then you're adventuring on starships, um, trying to keep maybe some of the Try, trying to trying to maintain a sense of security, you know, and then again, of course, in the background, you've got a you know maybe a uh, you know a threat to all the alien races in the uh, the Sather. Um, they have, um, I know, in the book, they had kind of like a a little um, program, a little programmed adventure, you know, basic adventure that you can kind of go through in, in terms of paragraphs, and then of course uh, the first module that came with it. So yeah, it's um. This is one that, uh, as I said before, I think um, it could be a lot of nostalgia <laughs> that draws me back to this. I think um, one reason that I might remember for a combination of things like it was that it was even though I, I, I had D and D and played it, this was really the first role playing game that maybe captured my imagination a little more uh, because of the sci-fi elements, the space opera. Um, I'll have to maybe wait in a separate episode because I haven't gone back to read through the Nighthawk stuff yet. But I remember when that came out, one of my friends in middle school, man, we were thrilled. And I know we spent several weekends more of the time playing through kind of the war game portion of it, the big map with the chits, because there was a tactical section. And then there were sections to involve it in your in your campaign. But I think we, we just really enjoyed doing that a little bit more. This is also a time when, so in the mid-80s, I mean, the video games were getting a little bit more advanced, and we had some computer games because we had personal computers starting to get in several homes, not not many, um, and definitely not as prolific as today. So for at the time for us, other than some things that I had seen, which were really text adventures and some crude, you know, graphics, <laughs> and we, we still were the, the 2600 era, uh, this this was something that that got you a little bit closer to playing, you know, starship troopers or you know or running uh, running starship battles, Battlestar Galactica. So other things on this, and this may be getting more to what Jason was talking about. All of this was great for me, you know, when I was younger. I would be interested in trying to run it now and seeing how I feel about it. There was a really good discussion, it was actually a question I sent in, um, on Living for Crits. If you don't follow Living for Crits, the YouTube channel, Judge James, uh, mainly about DCC and MCC, but not exclusively because he runs all kinds of games. And he talked about his experience running Alternity, which was a later, I, I'm, now I'm bad at this, because I'd never heard of it or seen it. It was towards the end, I think, of the TSR days, if I remember. So it was kind of one of their later offerings. And from the sounds of it, at least the way he speaks about it, I think has a pretty good following today. Uh, so maybe similar to Star Frontiers. But he talks about running that recently for a group. And I had asked a question around the idea of, of not just old games, but some of these old games. So for me, maybe Star Frontiers is one for him, Alternative, that you find attractive that there hasn't necessarily been the retro clone like we've seen with plenty of the older versions of uh, D&D. Uh, going back to it and running it, and I'll, I'll just paraphrase, but I think his perspective was really good on the that going through it, it held a lot of value for him because of the nostalgia. But taking a look at like what what you really wanted from that game, and this kind of gets to the science fiction, science fantasy, high fantasy, low fantasy, space opera discussion, is that today there are so many different games that, for instance. 
going back to something like Star Frontiers, you know, and in this case, Judge James went to Alternity, you may get a lot of it personally because of the nostalgia. Depending on who else you have at the group, they, they may not. Um, you know, some of the, the things in the system, the cracks may show through, some of the things that are dated. And you may run a few sessions and, and kind of scratch that itch. And I talked about this last time about, you know, some of the older games and thinking I may, I may go through them, you know, may feel the wave of nostalgia, share them, maybe play around a little bit, but not, may, maybe not more than that. And, and that's okay. And, and his point coming out of that, which I think is actually really insightful, and I was thinking about this with Star Frontiers, was there are so many other good games in that genre or close to that genre and worlds that would be better to play, maybe easier to play, maybe more attractive. And so in thinking about Star Frontiers, and this kind of led me to the, you know, the next leap, is that I haven't gotten into the Expanse RPG at all. Um, it seems interesting, especially because, um, mainly through James, uh, I've been hearing a lot about Fantasy Age and, and that whole system, uh, the, you know, the age system for, for RPGs. But that setting is, in a way, similar. I think it might be a little bit grittier. I've read the books, have not seen the series yet. But it gives you that feel of, you know, I am, I am maybe, you know, a, you know, someone who is out adventuring in the galaxy, you know, maybe paying off a debt, or I have a ship, or I'm, you know, I'm trying to take contracts to make money. I, I'm either far away from Earth, or I never grew up on Earth. Uh, coming into contact with, with alien uh, races, especially different from humans, but have some unique characteristics. And I think from Star Frontiers, what stood out to me is, is just having that core set of races and having those uh, they're a little bit of a trope, but just having kind of the, you know, the Dralocyte with its, its humor and, and, and liking bad jokes and um, the Azarians, you know, uh, kind of, as like I said, I would think of them as, you know, heavy drinkers, like to fight, you know, great in a fight, you'd want them on your side. And then, of course, the Verusk are kind of, you know, trying to uh, organize incorporations and, and run their own part of the world. Um, that just seems very, very interesting to me and fun to play. And so this leads me to some comments on, you know, the science fiction, science fantasy, and why this may be difficult. I'd never really worried about this when I was younger, um, but mainly because I was younger. And even as I grew up, I, you know, as I said, was into mathematics, uh, ended up studying engineering, you know, going into the military um, and, you know, being on uh, submarines. So uh, very, very, very technical oriented, and you spent a lot of time uh, debating things, you know, from a scientific technical standpoint and arguing about them, um, you know, to, to show who, who is right or who had more knowledge based on, again, the science, the technology, your understanding of it, your mastery of it. And one of the things that I think is challenging in science fiction games that I don't think is as challenging in fantasy games, it can be, is there's a separation between kind of the, the, the real world and the fantasy world. And, and you see this when, when, you, when you look at some of the divisions, and I think Jason did a good job in talking about what you would consider science fiction, whether it's a movie, uh, a book, uh, you know, a genre, and even a game, where elements of the fiction are very grounded in, I don't want to say scientific reality, because I think a lot of it is, is, is that, but scientific theory, but a very firm basis on what we perceive to be the physics of the known universe, and then extrapolate to the future or other universes. But there is a good basis or a good deal of thought that's gone into, I, I would just generally 
talk about this as the physics of the world. And it can be very difficult to understand. I do not have a grasp, even after taking many physics courses, <laughs> doing some quantum mechanics, um, and even doing some reading now um, on just all the different advances. You know, when you think about quantum theory, quantum gravity, time, space, everything we know. And, and knowing and talking to some physicists and, and old friends I had to study it, I, there, there's, it's, um, it's almost a paradox. A lot of them, that's, that's, that's really the wrong way to put it, but physicists, but a lot of physicists are pretty upfront, and especially those that are very passionate about their work, in talking about that a lot of it is still discovering. There's a lot of physics that's known, but more of what they do, or at least the physicists that I've talked to, interacted with, and read, is, is part of that discovery. And a lot of that discovery means contradicting what you held to be true before. And, and that's part of a lot of science is, you know, you go through the years and you look at scientific discoveries and how it builds on each other. And especially for experiments and replicating or trying new experiments, you quickly refine either the scientific theories or, or find things that counter that and you come up with a new theory. And there, there are many scientists who find that that's thrilling, find that that makes perfect sense, that that's part of the scientific method. And I think that gets hard when you try to, not necessarily just put that in game, but put that in conversation. Um, as an engineer, we had that bit of it, definitely from university and definitely from doing some more advanced things. But, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you, you get to the point of when you're talking about what is today and how things work, uh, you, you want to have that grounded in what's fully understood about what well, I'd say the physics of that world. So when you talk about science fiction that tends to be not that far in the future or, or that tends to want to be realistic, you, you, could be, you could find yourself in a world or a game where not everyone feels they understand it or, or could understand it. I, I probably couldn't because if you're kind of constructing this world or trying to run the game, do you know enough? Are you well-versed enough to talk about just in, just in general physics of outer space, physics of other worlds, extrapolate that into the future and make it realistic. And I find that this, you know, depending on who's there, people may get bogged down in trying to think about that. It may seem to, if you pardon the pun, weighty. <laughs> but also for a game master trying to run it, even if you are well-versed in this, you, you I would feel a little bit constricted because you spend most of your time almost defaulting to, to want to be the rules lawyer or satisfying the rules lawyer. And I think it takes a step further because it's not just necessarily the rules of the game, but understanding the, the physics behind it, if that makes any sense. I, I, might, be, I might be starting to lose the, uh, the one listener with multiple personalities in the back of the lecture hall here. It's, um, it's getting very quiet. <laughs> but it, I, think, I think to me, this makes sense in that, you know, thinking about it in terms of realism, and trying to, to instew these elements uh, or imbue these elements in, in your science fiction game um, can make it more difficult to run. Um, I, my, my short answer is you don't have that as much in fantasy or in science fantasy, uh, mainly because depending, and that depends on the world, and so I'll, I'll caveat this, but in general, uh, you have a lot more elements that are magical or that are 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 designed to be a certain way that may not apparently make sense to the players because they don't necessarily make sense to what we know in this world. And a lot of times, 
science fiction may advance it and there be maybe fantastic imagination and talk about things that of course may not be scientifically correct today they could be in the future and they also could not be but it's to me and I, and I've found this as my personal issue with with reading a lot of it there's a lot that I love but sometimes I'll fall into the trap of worrying about you know it, does this make sense uh, I, do, do, you know do I think this would work do I want to debate the you know the <laughs> the fictitious writings of you know of imagination or do I want to get lost in the world and it could be that in, in, in a lot of settings that are really more what you'd say science fiction, hardcore, however you want to put it, it may feel harder to get lost in the world. And it's not like that for everybody. And I think when you get to science fantasy, you know, you get to something like, I'll, I'll use the, the easy one, Star Wars, you've got a lot of both. You know, you've got on the one hand, you know, in the original trilogy, you know, it, the, the, one of the core story, <laughs> one of the core story elements, especially in Empire, getting the Millennium Falcon repaired to fly to make the jump to light speed. You know, and there's a technology that's there, and there's some engineering and maintenance problems that go into it. You know, and then the you know the physics of the chases and getting enough time and getting in and out and, and how they're going to solve that. You know, the other side of that, you've got the Jedi. You know, lifting lifting rocks. You know, causing things to happen. You know, transmitting thoughts across the universe and they coexist in that world and there are many games where they coexist and sometimes maybe in a game that's a little bit easier it might be us a little bit easier to run and to be honest for players to role play it again going to the world that may be a world that's more interesting to some people so um i tend to think that that a lot of games may be easier to run in more of a science fantasy setting and maybe the distinction uh, I'm, I'm on board with the distinctions, and, and again, this is I think I think these are good distinctions to make because I've found this in reading science fiction that it's good to understand the type of work because it would be easy to try to read something, get lost, and dismiss it again if it's not fitting the mood or, or the genre you're looking for. Um, but in general, I think even running a you know a, a science fiction RPG or more hardcore RPG. I, it, I think it'll eventually come down to kind of the, the system. You know, the GM that wants to run it, they don't have to necessarily understand everything about the physics of the of the world or the known world, but I, I think the players have to at least buy into that. And, you know, caveats, like everything else. Um, maybe one of the reasons I love Star Frontiers is it, is it, it, it gave me enough of a, you know, a I guess a, a scientific curiosity for other other alien races, if you want to, you know, journeying out into the, the frontier space, you know, getting to use laser rifles. But, you know, part of it's an element of fantasy. And we're also kids, so I don't think, I mean, we've probably spent days arguing about different things, but like I've talked about before, it's more on the lines of the, you know, the Thor versus Hulk debate, you know, and, and different things. Not not debating the intricacies of, of physics that would have uh, waited until, God, if I had tried to run this uh, university uh, with... Uh, <laughs> some of my engineering friends because just thinking of the arguments we'd had already I, yeah we would have no, that, that's why we didn't that's why we played war games I think um, but anyway so uh, just some thoughts um, some things I wanted to, uh, to leave you with and, I, and I'll put these in the show notes um, there's a couple of great references uh, for Star Frontiers so um, a while ago there used to be a lot of this material freely available online there was a trademark dispute I believe and I'm, I'm, I don't know the intricacies but in just reading about it because I know when I went to look and found that it had been removed 
um, I think someone tried to use the Star Frontiers uh, name and Watsi had to take some action to protect the, the trademark. Um, so, I mean, I guess there is some good news is that you can go to Drive Through RPG and get a lot of the old Star Frontiers material, rule sets, modules. You can get the PDFs. I think there's some print-on-demand options, um, you know, which is which is pretty good. So if you are interested, you can do that. I don't know, um, again, unless you're kind of from this this group, I don't know how valuable that would be. Um, but it's it's there. Uh, it You know, I think it led some people to b- believe there might be a revival of Star Frontiers. I don't think that's... I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But anyway, the material is there. Uh, probably more interesting, though. So if you are familiar with it or you do have the rules or, um, you know, you want to pay a little bit to get the core rules, there are some fantastic groups that are still lively. And I think Jason mentioned this in a call-in. And they produce uh, homebrew material, one of which the Frontier Explorer, free uh, PDF magazine online. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a little bit more than a zine. Um, it's, it is of fantastic quality. Froth had mentioned this uh, not too long ago on one of his uh, casts talking about free stuff. Um, so it's a great resource. And if you are into any kind of, I think, science fiction, science fantasy game, uh, pff, it's free, free for using and for reskinning as, as you see fit. Some other things I'll put in the show notes, um, Dead Game Society podcast, I don't think it's active right now, uh, did a really good review of Star Frontiers that's come up, so I'll link to that episode. It's a few years ago. Uh, there are also some really good write-ups, and I saw one recently um, about Star Frontiers as I was as I was thinking about this episode uh, that give you kind of a good background. So again, much better than I've done it, and maybe more holistic uh, review of what you'd find in Star Frontiers on the Black Gate. It's actually an Adventures in Fantasy Literature blog. Uh, but they have a write-up just from last year. So that, that, may be, that may be more useful because, again, I think it's good to take a look at these things with a bit of nostalgia, but also from you know, a, a, a standpoint of today. Um, one of the other things I was thinking about, I'll mention it now, uh, but I probably need to come back to it. And one, th- one, one thing that occurred to me when I was talking about the, the world building and the physics of the world is that you do need to have both in terms of when you're talking about you know, a sci-fi game. I mean, some elements of science, even if the physics are a little bit invented or warped for your world, and then the fantasy. And one of the best people that I've heard talk about this, and I believe she's a gamer, I'd have to, have to look that up, um, N.K. Jameson. Um, who I only was introduced to, God, probably the last four years, I think. Um, so I was probably a little bit late in coming because she had already finished uh, kind of the uh, the fifth season uh, trilogy. I think she had just finished it when I kind of discovered her. Um, she did a fantastic interview on the Ezra Klein Show, uh, which is a, a great podcast. Ezra's a journalist, and, and just it's a range of topics. More tend to be current events and politics, but not all. And this was one of them, where he had N.K. Jameson on to talk about world building. So if for some reason you're not familiar with N.K. Jameson's work, please check her out. It is fantastic. And it's a great example of, of I think, a perfect marriage of science fiction and science fantasy. And I mentioned before about the world that would be just, it's fascinating. But in this podcast, she talks about her work, but really kind of leads you through a world building exercise and the way that she goes about doing it. And so if you're interested in this genre, you could follow that, you know, follow her blueprint 
on how to build your own world to go through things like the physics you know what what is the, the what, you know the, the planet or the landscape look like and it doesn't have to be just uh, science fiction i mean you can use this for any kind of fantasy setting but she just steps through the elements in such a way that you would get a sense of how this world works and from that maybe even the rules or or with a rule set that you're using and enough to help set the scenes for your players without either being too concerned or feeling inadequate on, on having enough having enough of a baseline to have this this the, the kind of the physics of the world and then the rules that reflect that so that your players can buy into it i mean giving giving them enough so that they buy into it and go with it instead of getting too bogged down or getting bored or too frustrated that things don't make sense because obviously <laughs> with a lot of rpgs uh it, it, sense is a <laughs> is a is a matter of perspective right but anyway so that is another great resource um there are plenty more i'll also put the link to uh, frontier explorer uh in the future i'll have to uh come around to uh, Nighthawks, as well as many of the things that I forgot to mention on Star Frontiers. But I want to leave some time because I've gotten a lot of really good call-ins on, on some of the recent episodes with some comments on uh, Marvel superheroes by games and a little bit of uh, a return to uh, minimalism. Hey Brian, Jason here. Great episode. Um, so I hope I'm interested to see how you adapt DCC to 5e. I know Eric Tenkar's group bounced off DCC spell casting, and I know that when um, Hank Infernal over Runehammer back in the day, he tried to adapt DCC spell casting to his 5e group, and they bounced off it as well. I've got a good gaming friend, Eric Salzweedle, who has the Omega 3D Chicken Coop podcast, and he doesn't like DCC. He he likes DCC Lankmar, but for the most part, he doesn't like normal DCC, and part of it's the randomness of the spell system. I think Eric's more of a, he wants, and, and he'll disagree with this, but, you know, I, I, I just don't think he knows what he likes. I'm kidding, Eric. But, but he, I... The problem with DCC for a lot of people is they want their spellcasting to be consistent, more like a science, and DCC doesn't give that. Still, the randomness of the spells are one of the reasons I love DCC, but, you know, different strokes for different folks. You know, I'm much more of a... It's funny, because my favorite systems for, you know, fantasy, sword and sorcery, whatever, are DCC and Barbarian's Lemoria, which kind of have pretty opposite spell systems. Eric loves the Barbarian's Lemuria spell system. But, I, I anyhow, I, you know, you talk about flipping through the book, that's there. Or, But the other thing you can do with DCC is just print off those pages of the spells that wizard has or cleric has, and they can just have those pages in front of them. Well, more for the wizards, right? But they can just have them in front of them, and, and that way they're not having to flip through the pages of the book. Kind of like with Rollmaster, you print off the crit charts you need for your character, and you just have them in front of you. As far as Watsy, I'm glad you're enjoying that. I'm glad your family's enjoying that. I honestly don't have any interest in 5e. If a group I'm playing with wants to play it, that's fine. I'd play it. But to be, you know, I, I just am more interested in other systems. I don't, I, I definitely recognize the contribution Watsy has done and what 5e has done for the hobby. And I'm happy for that. I just personally don't 
I, I'm not interested in it. It doesn't do anything for me. As far as Marvel goes, yep, I grew up with Marvel Superheroes 2. Maybe the... Well, that's actually the first game I actually GM for somebody else. Um, I So... I kind of think that site's just up there until somebody decides to say, take it down. You, you know what I mean? So, Star Frontiers PDS were up for free for a long time. Then WotC had to reestablish that trademark or copyright because I think Evil Hat was going to print something called Star Frontiers. Now, with the Marvel Superheroes game, it's a little bit different. But I'm pretty sure they're just up there until somebody just says, take it down. I'm sure WotC or Disney could easily issue a cease and desist and they'd have to pull that site down. So anybody interested in the Marvel Superheroes game, I highly recommend they go download that stuff now while it's up there. It's a great game. Really love it. Um, I would still play that in a heartbeat these days. I, I, DC Heroes also has a great following, the, the um, West End game. That, that's got a great following these days. Lots of fan base. Of the modern games, I've played Mutants and Masterminds 3rd Edition. It's a really good game. Bash looked neat at the time. Never actually played it, though currently in a masks campaign which is powered by the apocalypse supers um it, it's its own thing because it's powered by the apocalypse right so i don't know that it fits the same niche that marvel superheroes dc heroes mutants and masterminds villains and vigilantes is one i never played back in the day i actually have that they, they came out with a card game not too long ago actually a, it, that i i bought and i've got i've never played it though like most of my games. My favorite superhero card game, though, without a doubt, is Sentinels of the Multiverse. To me, that's the best superhero card slash board game ever made. But, okay, I'll let you go. I've yacked way too long. Great episodes. Looking forward to your next one. Take care. Hey, Jason, thanks. Yeah, I, Sentinels of the Multiverse has come up. I should check that one out as well. And you mentioned Mass. I've heard a lot of people talk about Mass. And in some ways, yeah, thinking about Marvel, even though the, the stuff is available for free, it does seem like there's a lot of great superhero RPGs out right now. <laughs> I think just with everything else that I've been, you know, kind of getting myself into, it's it just, it's kind of the brain exploding time. Um, yeah, there's a couple of other great ones. A lot of people seem to like Champions. I never played Champions, but uh, Mad J brought out a he had a kickstarter uh, lifted for the, i think it worked inside of champions and i i, I was i was tempted but i think i, I have to kind of get a lot of material and up to speed to get into that system uh but yeah thanks uh, great recommendations and unfortunately we have not kind of uh, in the last 5e session didn't kind of get to some of the you know introducing the dcc spell effects um although the way that I had it planned, or the way that I'm going to do it first, at least, to be kind of on the on the on the bad guy side. And again, it's it's playing with my son, and then you know maybe some others who are not really hardcore gamers. Um, so more on you know if they cast a spell, maybe to, to introduce some some other weird effects that way, um, and just see how it goes. I, I think you're right, though. Yeah, I think um, it's not necessarily just a, a 5e versus DCC. At, at least to me, I think it's more the the kind of the, the world that DCC has built and and you really want to buy into that or you i think you want to be of a certain mood and playing in that uh you know versus some of the other systems and yeah very interesting about uh, lankmar i i purchased the the recent either bag of holding or humble bundle with all the lankmar pdfs so i'm pretty pretty excited to to uh, get into that 
Hey Brian, it's Che. I just wanted to call in on your minimalism um, episode. I'm partway through actually, so to be fair, I haven't heard yet what the kit is. I wanted to just comment on the books thing though. Um, what happens if every time you pick up every single ballplaying book, it just, you just, you know, like you were describing with the DCC book, like it wants to open and you want to get in there and you just have, you know, an incredible curiosity and joy about it every time. No book. There is no role playing, but very few. I mean, I pretty much sold off or got rid of things that don't do that. But essentially, that's pretty much what everything does. And I have thousands, so I don't get this whole. If it brings you, how can things not bring you joy? <laughs> um, so that was the thought. But also, I was just curious about like there's this implied virtue to minimalism um, that I I find hard to understand. So when you talk about like what's the minimum stuff I need to game, it's like I don't want a minimal game. I mean, as soon as you start talking about minimal, I'm thinking about less. I'm thinking about, you know, and then we're into the realm where people who say, all you need is a pair of D6, a pencil and a piece of paper. And yeah, you can play a game like that. But I don't want to play games like that. I want a maximal game experience. Um, I want to engage my senses. I mean, if I had my way, I would have, you know, incredibly complex three-dimensional you know, dungeons to explore. Um, I I want to be able to use whatever I want to use, not, you know, kind of pitch it into somebody else's expectation of game. And um, that's what I find hard. But I guess I'm just kind of being grumpy about it. And I'm sorry if this isn't a helpful call, but I just wanted to just say so. So there you go. Game on. Thanks, Che. And I know I gave Che a, a call back, but I, I think, Che, you've hit on a few key things. One, especially when talking about minimalism, and I'd go further than RPGs and, and say books, um, a lot of that episode w- was tongue-in-cheek. I mean, I do think that for me, minimalism and, and some of the uh, references provided helpful guidance, but books are difficult. And it was difficult for me to, to downsize the books. Um, and with RPGs, I could see that if I had many more, it would be difficult to downsize. And to be honest, you, you hit on it. When you talk about the the fact that you know your library of games or your library of books, if you make it broader, and I, I won't repeat the, you know, the trope sparking joy, but I think that rings true. I mean, you have them for a reason. And I've talked about that library that I'd love to have, just not just not have to move around all the time. You know, there there is a, a reason that the books are there. They inspire you. You know, you go back to them. Having them around, you know, not to, again, not to sound like too much of a trope, you know, makes, but makes your life better. And yeah, that's the, I, I mean, that's one of the difficult things with looking at, at minimalism. And to be honest, um, after moving around a lot, and after, you know, downsizing, going to the RV, coming to a house, now packing up to go to Australia, I find it so much easier to get rid of stuff or go through the minimalist approach to stuff and think about if I ever need that or do I need this many of this thing. And books are one of those, I, I guess you could say category, but books are, are, are an area where it's difficult to do. Um, even if it's books you've, you know, read a long time ago and may have not come back to recently. Um, so uh, I am with you there. Um, I've had to do it at times under duress. Uh, <laughs> even now, in the last few days, uh, there have been a few side arguments uh, 
when some member of the household found my old box of diplomacy and uh, a little had 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 some had some heated words, but uh, it is uh, it's going with us. And <laughs> the same is true for the uh, the new set of books, even the five e-books. They're they're going with us. Uh, plus, um, well, Che, you would definitely know this over in the UK. Uh, Australia is the same. Books are very expensive, uh, especially any of the great uh, DCC books. Shipping is expensive. <laughs> so, now, nah, mate, I'm 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 with you. That's a, I'm I'm glad you called in because yeah, that's a good point. And m my sense is that many of the anchorites, um, e even if you're looking for ways to downsize, I don't know that I could really give you the best advice. But I I don't think we're talking about getting rid of everything except for your DCC book. <laughs> um, yeah, books books are books are difficult, and trust me, it's uh, uh, not just for the RPG books. For all my books, it was hard to go through it, and still still hard to go through it. So I'm with you. Um, so um, I've got some more more Collins for probably the next episode. I gave a few of the recommended kind of blog posts, and I'll put those in the show notes. Definitely for your podcast, check out uh, the NK Jameson episode on Ezra Klein. If just for that, and I'd be interested for those of you that are, I mean, if you're a fan of N.K. Jameson, uh, I'd definitely be interested to hear what you think. Uh, if you're able to take the time and listen to it, you know, and if this is new to you, I'd be interested for your take on it because I said that it was helpful for me. Maybe it gave you some different thoughts. Maybe it uh, reminded you of something else that could be helpful. And yeah, I'll just leave you with uh, Spencer calling in from Free Thaw. So uh, good to hear from them and uh, wish everyone the best. Hope your games go well. Cheers. Hi Brian, Spencer here. I just wanted to thank you for all the great stuff you recommend. Um, it's not very often I hear things recommended that I haven't already stumbled across myself, but you managed to do it without fail in each episode. Um, I'm currently really enjoying reading through some of the posts from uh, the Indie Game Reading Club. Great stuff there. Um, also, I really appreciate your content too and um keep up the good work cheers bye